Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. We good today? Everybody good? You guys sounded great this morning. Thank you for your worship. Thank you for just your participation. I know you can come and you can just sit here or stand here, and, uh, and, and that's okay, too. We welcome you to do that. But, man, when you participate, it adds something to the room. And it doesn't matter how many people are singing and how many people are engaging. When you do, uh, it adds something unique to the experience. And so I'm thankful for that. And I'm just thankful that you're here today. Man, what a great week we had last week, Sunday Fun Day. A great, fun week, fun experience. If you were here, you know uh, it was a great day. We had the carnival rides, and we had the cotton candy and the snow cones, and we had the funnel cakes. I could smell the powdered sugar as I walked down the hill. It was a heavenly experience that I assume that's what heaven will be like. But we also had some frustrations. Some of you may have experienced those, and hopefully you were able to kind of give us grace and be patient as well. What we did not plan for, it was our fault, we'll learn from it for the next time, is that no one that attended the 10 o'clock service left after 10 o'clock. They stayed for Sunday Funday. So if you came at 1130, there were no parking spots for you. So some of you parked in the grass down front, you parked along the road. So thanks for being gracious to do that. We had the largest non-holiday attendance in the history of our church last week, which we're so thankful for. Um, One of the other frustrations that some of you experienced is uh, we had about 60 children check in in about five minutes uh, at one point. So some of you were wrapped around the wall. We turned into Chick-fil-A. We were taking your order by phone and iPad and checking you in and printing tags and all that kind of stuff. So we're thankful for your patience and your grace. We really are. It was a great day. My favorite number about last Sunday that I've celebrated all week long is that eight people made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior which I'm so thankful for. That's why we do what we do. It's not so we can have carnival rides or or, or funnel cakes. It really is just to draw people in and say, hey, let's all come together and let's let's find life in Jesus Christ. And so I'm thankful for the eight that made the decision last week to do so. We also announced last Sunday that we are expanding our space and moving downstairs on the front of this building to the space that was previously occupied by Sears, uh, which I'm thankful for, I'm excited about, because it's not just more space. It allows us to serve more people more effectively And so it allows us to essentially double our capacity, and downstairs we'll build the worship space and the lobby space. It'll be about twice the size of this room. The lobby will be about three times the size of what you have outside. We'll join the two levels together with an elevator and a staircase and be able to have all of this space up here dedicated to our family ministries, our kids, our students, um, which I'm thrilled about. And again, it just gives us the opportunity to serve more people more effectively. Um, We hope to be in that space in early 2020. And so you're going to hear more about that. There's more to the story Um, that I I would love to share. I haven't been able to share yet because we didn't have time last week or even this week. So come September the the 15th, Sunday, September 15th, um, on a Sunday we're calling Vision Sunday, where Corey and I are going to get to share with you a little bit of what God's been doing behind the scenes for our church and really setting us up for not just now, but also for the next few years where we believe God is going to do um, through Canton Church over these next few years. So I encourage you, you want to hear that, be here on that Sunday, September 15th for Vision Sunday. So last Sunday, we kind of made that announcement about the space. This Sunday, there's another announcement, and we don't make special announcements every week, but maybe you should come. You never know. But uh, there is another bit. You know, uh, Corey and I have been praying over the last few months about what God has been doing and where God is leading us and how do we kind of position ourselves as a church for that. And one of the things that we really felt is that we needed to restructure our team and our staff and volunteer levels to really help accommodate uh, the people that have been coming. And we're up this year about 20% in attendance. We've had more guests this year than we had all of 2018, just even thus far this year. And so we're thankful for that. Some of you have joined us in this season, 
And so as a part of that, we've been trying to determine how do we prepare to be able to serve people well when they come uh, to Canton Church? How do we serve families well? And, and so one of the things that we began praying about a few months ago was the possibility of, of, of shifting some seats on the bus, if you're familiar with that uh, terminology. And so one of those first steps was to ask Pastor Matt Popham to shift his role. Pastor Matt and Mary Beth, who were on stage just a few minutes ago, an awesome couple, awesome family. We love their kids so much. Um, they came to us about three years ago, and we, we asked Pastor Matt to pray about the possibility of shifting his role out of kids' ministry where he's been serving. He was overseeing kids and life groups um, to shift out of that role from kids into a new role we're calling Connections Pastor, which is really about the value that we hold. It's on the wall out in the lobby that you might see that's connecting people to people. And so his responsibility will be to continue to oversee life groups, which is such a healthy, vibrant ministry in our church. Just in the spring of this year, this will blow your mind, okay? We had more people in life groups than we have attending on Sundays. So the number that will boggle your mind and some of you will not be able to grasp is that we had 105% of our church in life groups. Some of you won't understand that. Just ask somebody. It's great. So um, life groups, he'll still oversee that. We also will, he'll be overseeing, uh, helping take new people to our church and help them find life here at Canton Church, taking new believers and helping them plug into a next step, uh, really helping with guest services and local and global missions. So stepping into that role, he's agreed to do that. And so we're excited about that shift. And so as a part of that, the obvious question is, what do we do with kids ministry? Who oversees that? Well, we answered that in two ways. One is Pastor Casey Kamis, Pastor Casey and Haley came to us about a year ago to oversee our youth ministry, uh, and they will continue to oversee youth ministry. They'll still be involved in youth ministry. Um, that won't change as much, but they'll also take on the responsibility of overseeing all of our families with children birth, uh, age birth through college. So young families and, and youth families and even into college ministry. Um, so they're going to oversee from a pastoral level our youth ministry, our kids' ministry. And so we're excited about that. We're going to kind of create a more seamless process of discipleship and spiritual growth for our families and our children. Uh, and then also, Rebecca Tosh is stepping into a role that we're calling Children's Ministry Coordinator. Rebecca and Jeremiah joined our church at the very beginning, and she immediately jumped into kids' ministry. Her heart for kids is huge, uh, and so we're excited about this role for her. This last year, she stepped into a role called Volunteer uh, preschool director. She did an amazing job. And so we've asked her to step into this larger role to really oversee the team on Sundays and Wednesdays and special events, coordinate that, coordinate the curriculum. So uh, Rebecca and Pastor Casey will really lead the charge in kids and in students with family ministries. And then Pastor Matt will step into this connections role. And the rest of our staff will continue to do the things that they've been doing. I love this picture because Jeremiah's in a cutoff shirt. Um, which is an amazing because he's an Alabama fan, so it fits. Um, but this is just the one we grabbed off Facebook. And so I love that picture. But we love this family. We love these families that are a part of our staff and our team. And it's not just about changing roles. Um, it really is about us positioning ourselves to serve people better and to minister to people more effectively. And so we're excited about that change. We know with change, sometimes there comes questions. So if you've got questions, come talk to me or come talk to these folks that you saw up on the screen. Any of our staff members, we'd love to help answer any questions that you may have. The thing that is exciting to me is the season that we find ourselves in, it really is about not just where God's taking us, but where God has us right now. Over the last few weeks, we've been in this series called Five Things That Will Keep Your Family Together, and so many of you have been in this series and engaged in this process of really finding a more enriching, fulfilling life in your family. And for us, what we, we've talked about is we've talked about various things. The first week we talked about the idea that we're going to build our families and our homes and our lives on the solid foundation of relationship with Jesus Christ. We were going to look through this eternal lens. The first of those five things was a relationship with God. The second thing, the second week we talked about forgiveness. 
that the people that love us the most have the potential to hurt us the most. And so we've got to be able to forgive well and forgive quickly. So we talked about forgiveness. The third week, we talked about this idea of margin. Last week, we talked about setting aside intentional space and time to be able to say no to the things that are good so that we can say yes to the things that are best for us, to build a fence around the values and the root systems of our homes and our families so that we can really chase and pursue after God. And as I was preparing for today, I came across this story about uh, August of 2004 in Athens, Greece, in the middle of the Olympics, there was the final round of the 50-meter rifle competition. There was a guy by the name of Matt Emmons, and he needed in this final round to shoot a score of 7.2 to secure the gold medal. 7.2. Now, I don't know if that sounds high to you or low to you, but to him, it probably sounded pretty low because he had never scored lower than a 9.3. 9.3 was his lowest. He only had to have a 7.2. It was locked up. All he had to do was shoot in that final round, and he was going to win. So he steadies his breathing. He steadies his heart rate. He gets prepared to take the final shot. He aims. He hits the bullseye dead center. But he realizes pretty quickly that something was wrong because as soon as he hit the bullseye, there was no applause, no score went up on the scoreboard, and actually the officials started to gather together to talk and to discuss something, and he didn't know what had happened. They eventually came to him and helped him to see that he had actually cross-fired. While he hit the bullseye in lane three, he was in lane two. And so his bullseye didn't count. Now, put that story on pause just for a second, and let's come back to the series that we're in. For all of us that are a part of a family unit of some kind, whether you're married with kids, whether you're grandparents with, with younger kids living in your home, or you've just got grandparents that live with their kids who are your, or with their parents who are your kids, whatever that dynamic, if you're single, if you're dating, if you're engaged, if you're a child, if you're a student, if you're an empty nester, whatever it looks like for you, whatever stage and age of life you find yourself in, we are a part of some family dynamic. And for all of us, we recognize that the family unit is under attack. Every week I've given you some of these statistics. Somewhere between 40 and 50% of couples divorce. One in three kids live in a home without a father. The average student loan debt is about $50,000. Over 7 million children take some type of antidepressant and over 3,000 high school students attempt suicide every day. And what we have said is that the average family is not doing well, but you don't have to be average. You can actually live a fulfilling, enriching life for your family. And so we said we want to take a journey together. We want to take a 30-day family challenge. And we invited you to go to our website and download the 30-day family challenge calendar. And to put this up on your refrigerator. Or put these things on the calendar that says, hey, we're going to spend some time doing devotions together. We gave you a resource for that. We're going to pray together. We, gave, we helped you to understand how to do that. We want you to take a date night or do a family night. Or come up with some ways to spend time together investing in your family. And so we wanted you to take this journey together, to be with us each of these Sundays, and then to walk through this 30 days together. And so many of you have done that. And you've taken this challenge, and you're finding more fulfillment, and you're finding some healing in your families, which I'm so thankful for. But as I come back to this story that we just talked about of the Olympics of 2004 and Matt Emmons, it occurs to me that we're all aiming at something. The question is, are we aiming at the right thing? Are we aiming at the right target? As you think about your family and the family dynamic and your marriage and your kids or wherever you find yourself, whatever stage, whatever age, all of us are aimed at something. And so the question becomes, are we aimed at the right things? We're trying hard at some of the things in our lives, but are we trying hard at the right things? Perhaps you have the respect of your coworkers, 
but you don't have the respect of your spouse. Maybe you're making a lot of money, but you're not making memories with your children. Perhaps in your life or in your home, you feel incredibly successful in business, but you feel like a giant failure in your family. In our marriage, in our relationship with our kids, in our families, are we giving our best effort? That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this idea of effort. I want to talk about where we give our effort and what our effort looks like. If we want our families to stay together and not just tolerate each other, but to truly love each other, it will require effort, real intentional effort, because great relationships take work. I talked about this a little bit in week two about forgiveness, but so often we think that if I have the perfect spouse or the perfect kids or, you know, whatever, that it's just going to all be perfect. But we understand that it takes work for a relationship to work. You have to have hard conversations. You have to call a family meeting every now and then. You have to do some things that you don't love because it's for the best for your family or for your marriage or for your kids. And so we say no to some good things so we can say yes to the best thing. It takes work for a relationship to work. You don't just end up with a great marriage. You don't just end up with a great relationship with your adult children. You've got to invest time and effort into that relationship. I ran across the story, and many of you may have seen this about a year or so ago, about the Japanese princess that gave away her rights as a member of the imperial family because she fell in love with a commoner. Did you guys see this story? So she fell in love with a commoner. He was a 32-year-old shipping employee, and she fell in love with him. I don't even know where they crossed paths, but she fell in love with him. And so for her to be able to marry him, she had to give up her rights to ever become queen. Now, that sounds like a Disney movie. It sounds like a Hallmark movie. It sounds like something we love, and, oh, it just makes our heart pitter-patter, and we're just, oh, so excited. Our, our, our daughters, we love these stories. But when we think about this, we think about why does it connect to our heart so much? Why does it grab at our heartstrings when we hear about someone that fell in love and pursued and chased after love? It's because there was great sacrifice. For her to truly love this man and to give herself fully to him and to marry him, she had to give away her rights to ever be queen. Now you go, well, I'm not a princess, I'm not a prince, I'm not a possible queen or a possible king, so that doesn't really connect to me. So let me give you a scenario that might connect to you. If you are married or if you hope to ever one day be married, imagine this choice. I could marry you. Or I could win the lottery. And I choose you. Could, could, you, could you really say that? Some of you are contemplating that right now. I don't. If you're sitting next to your spouse, don't contemplate that too long. It probably would help you if you just reach over and just touch their leg. Go, I choose you. I choose you again. I choose you every day just to help them feel better about things, right? Because you're, you're kind of scratching your chin. You're like, well, how long's the payout? And how much per year do you get with the lottery? And, right? What are we saying? We're saying that true love is about sacrifice. It's about giving up something to engage in, to enjoy this loving relationship. It's not just saying what's in it for me. It's saying what's in it for you. The reality is that the opposite of love is not hate. It's selfishness. So when we hear these types of stories where someone gives up everything to pursue love, it grabs at that part of our soul that feels a little bit idealistic. It feels a little bit like, I don't know, is that true? Is it possible? Yes, it absolutely is true. 
to say, I could have anything, but I'm willing to give up everything out of my love for you. And, and I want us to go to a passage of scripture in, in Philippians today. Philippians chapter 2. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul has written. And this, this passage of scripture we're going to read, it's four or five verses here. I want to spend just a minute on the very first portion of the very first verse that we're going to read together. And I want us to define some terms that I think will help set the context for the remainder of our time. This is what it says in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, right at the very beginning. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Stop right there. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Now, perhaps when you read that or you hear me say that, you go, wait a minute. Nothing? I can't do anything for myself. I can't take care of myself. Like mom's in the room. You're like, wait a minute. You're telling me that if the kids are driving me up the wall, I can't go take three hours at Target and get some stuff? That's what you're telling me? No, that's not what I'm saying. You take as long as you want at Target. They serve Pizza Hut breadsticks. I like to just walk around eating breadsticks. It's totally fine, right? Guys, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I, I can't go on a guy's weekend, I can't go hang out with my friend, I can't, I can't go, you know, go and do, no, that's not what I'm saying. But the idea here is that we do nothing out of selfish ambition. So let's define some terms that I think will help set the context for the remainder of our time together today. What does the word ambition mean? Ambition is a strong desire to do or to achieve something. Now that's not bad. That's really good. You need to have ambition. You need to want to do something, want to accomplish something in your life. I think the problem with a lot of people is they don't have enough ambition. They're not chasing enough big things. They're not doing things that stretch them and cause them to dream big dreams and to think of what's possible. They're just content staying where they've always been, doing what they've always done. I think you need to have ambition. You need to have a strong desire to achieve or do something. Well, let's look at another word, selfish. The word selfish means lacking consideration for others. Lacking consideration for others. That's best defined when we see it. Our children, it's mine, it's mine. I hold on to it, this is my toy, my thing. You can't have it. It's mine, I'm selfish, right? So if we put these two terms together, what is selfish ambition? Look at this definition we kind of pieced together to get today. Selfish ambition is this, accomplishing something at someone else's expense. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing where you accomplish something at someone else's expense. Selfish ambition. The Bible doesn't say that I get to be concerned about me all the time. I can be concerned about me some of the time. I can be concerned about the things that are going on in my life. I can have ambition. I can be chasing after some things. But when it comes to relationships, there is never a time that I get to win at your expense. That's selfish ambition. I get to win at your expense. I'm the one that always gets the upper hand and you always lose out. You're the butt of every joke so that I get the cheap laugh at the office party. I win and you lose all the time. I win at your expense. That's selfish ambition. And let me just say as a personal aside, and there will be a couple of these today. If you are in a relationship with someone who claims to love you, but they always win at your expense, you are always the butt of every one of their jokes. They're always the one that gets the upper hand and you get whatever's left over every time. 
I would think that it's time for you to start to question their love. You go to them and have a hard conversation and say, hey, I, I want to believe what you're saying to me. I want to believe that you love me. I want to believe that you mean what you're saying to me, but your actions speak louder than words. And I'm tired of losing so that you can win. I want you to succeed. I want you to have ambition. I want you to, but you are making everything about you and never, ever, ever considering my feelings, my thoughts, my actions. You're never considering me. You got to think hard about that. You need to have some hard conversations. So let's keep reading. Let's read this entire passage, Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, all the way down to verse 8. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. These verses here in Philippians are the ultimate reminder that love costs you something. Love always costs you something. It may not cost you the opportunity to become queen one day. It may not cause, cost you giving up the lottery. But love always costs you something. Jesus loves you so much that instead of playing the God card, he chose to take on the humanity card. He put on flesh and he gave up everything for you. Love does not ask the question, what can you do for me? Love never asks that question. It never says to someone in loving relationship, here's what you can do for me. Love asks the opposite question. What can I do for you? What can I do to love you well? What can I do to serve you well? What can I do, spouse, child, mom, dad? What can I do for you? That's what a loving relationship in a family looks like. Imagine, if you will, tonight taking every member of your family if it's your immediate family, if you live in the same household or your extended family, as if it were Thanksgiving dinner and everybody's coming over, if you sat around the table with one another, multiple generations perhaps, and you asked them this question, family, mom, dad, son, daughter, husband, wife, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, whoever's sitting at the table in your mind right now, what do you need from me? What do you need from me? Not, here's what you could do better to help me. No, no, no. What do you need from me? How could I love you better? How could I serve you better? What do you need from me? I bet it would surprise you. If you asked them and they were 100% honest, like some families, you have no problem being honest, right? Others of us, we kind of shade the truth or hide the truth to keep the peace. But if everybody around the table took some kind of truth serum and they, were, they had to tell 100% of the truth and you asked them that question, what would they say? Where would they say they needed more effort from you? Where would they say they needed you to give a little bit more of your time and your energy and your resource to invest in the family, to invest in the relationship? Because so often what we're trying to figure out is how do I, how do I give a little bit to everybody? 
I'm only 100% me. I'm just, that's all I can be. And so I got to get 41% over here and 27% over here and 9% over here and 2% over here. And how do I do that? And how do I spread myself out? If we truly ask our families, what do you need from me? We might be surprised to learn that it's not the things we thought that they needed from us that they actually need. Your kids may not care if you work the overtime to get the extra money so you can buy them the thing. They might rather you be home so you can spend time with them. It might be that they want you to do the thing because the vacation or the toy or the prize or the whatever is what they really, really, really want from you in this season. I don't know. It could be that what your spouse needs from you is not another gift. It's not another trip. It's just dinner in the living room after the kids go to bed with the phones off talking because they don't feel like we've talked in a long time. What do you need from me? And then being willing to listen, being willing to ask the question and then listen to what they would say. Perhaps you don't have to wait until tonight to sit around the table. Maybe you can just ask them the question on your own and be willing to listen. Maximum effort. What does it look like to give maximum effort in our marriage and in our parenting and in our home? What does that actually look like? Loving well, serving well to the best of our ability. You know the reason that we don't do it all the time? If we're being honest, myself included, you know why? There's really two reasons that we don't give maximum effort all the time. One, we keep score. We keep score. And two, we know if we keep score, we're going to lose. Now, we want to win, but we feel like we're going to lose. So I'll give you an example. In our home, here's the rhythm of our home. You have different rhythms in your home. This is the rhythm in our home. I am an expert trunk packer. I can pack luggage and stuff and lacrosse sticks and baseball bats and cleats. and I can pack it all. I can get it in there. When they come walking out the door, it's like the Tetris board makes sense in my head. Some of you don't even know what Tetris is, okay? But it's like it comes together. I see them walking out with the suitcase, and I know exactly where that's going to fit on the left side between the thing and the thing, and I know exactly how that. I can put it together. You know what I can't do? I cannot load a dishwasher. I don't know why. I have no idea why. Whenever God was handing out gifts, I was absent that day. I don't know how to, like it's the whole thing. You would think it's the same skill set for the trunk. But when I try to put four plates and a bowl and three glasses in there, there's no room. It was empty. To, I cannot get them in there. Something will break. They'll all be dirty when it finishes. I can't do it. But you know who does have that gift? My wife. It is amazing to watch. It's like we have 48 people over to eat, and she can fit all the dishes in the dishwasher when it's over. I'm like, I don't even know how that happens. You know what I can do? I can unload the dishwasher and put it all away. That doesn't bother me at all. I know where it all goes, kind of. Sometimes I put the pots in the wrong place, but I don't mean to. So I put them away. I don't mind that. So the rhythm that we have is that she loads the dishwasher, and I unload the dishwasher. It's just the rhythm. doesn't mean it happens every single time. There have been times where she's unloaded. There's been times when I've loaded but the rhythm of our house on a regular basis is that I unload, she loads. That's how we do it. I got to be honest, though. There have been times, once or twice, as the Lord's still working out the sin nature in me, right? When I have unloaded the dishwasher, when she's not home or not in the kitchen, and I try to leave, like, evidence that I did it. 
Like, other than it being empty whenever she goes to it next time, she'll be busy. Think the kids will be grabbing her legs. She won't even realize I did it 30 minutes ago or earlier today. And so I will, like, leave it slightly ajar so that, like, she could see from a distance that it's empty. She'd go, I know I didn't leave that open. How did they? Oh, look at Jeremy, my unbelievable, faithful, loving, caring, compassionate husband. I just leave little breadcrumbs just so she could see it. I don't make it hard. She didn't have to go, like, look in the top cabinet. I just leave it right there in front of her so she could see it. There have been times, once or twice, just once or twice, when I will unload the dishwasher and realize there are still dishes in the sink. And I will reload the dishwasher. Terribly. I'll I'll reload it terribly. I'm awful at it. But I'll reload the dishwasher. And I'll hit start. And it'll wash. And there have been times when I've loaded it and I can't fit everything in there because I can only put four or five things in at a time. That's all I can do. And there'll be dishes left in the sink, and I will wash those dishes by hand. That's what hell will be like, okay? I will wash those dishes by hand and dry them and put them away. And when I do that on the scoreboard, I got a point. And when I unload it when she doesn't have to ask, I got a point. And when I reload it, which is not even my job, I get two points. But then later, when I need a little help with something, when there's a job that we share and this is her part and it didn't get done, I'm like, you don't get a point for that. You, you, you are losing on the points today. What, why are you not trying? And on the scoreboard of marriage, it may look like that I have more points and she has less points, but in reality, I feel like I'm losing because I'm giving more effort than she's giving now. And so some of you have kind of lived that experience out, and it's not a dishwasher. It's something bigger than that. And so you've just decided it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I've tried. I've offered to help. I've said I'm sorry. I've come home early. I've taken the vacation. I've done the thing. This is what you said you wanted from me, and I've done it. And you don't appreciate it. And on the scoreboard, I'm losing. And I'm done. Keep the status quo. Don't rock the boat. Let the kids get old. Move out. And then we'll see where we're at at that point. Maximum effort? It's not worth it. I've given effort before and I got burned. But what did we just read? What did we just read in Philippians chapter 2? We read this verse. It says, in your relationships with others, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What was Christ's mindset? He said, I love you so much, I'm willing to give everything, even if you don't give me anything back. That's the mindset of Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5 takes that same mindset and that same picture of Christ and the church and equates it to husbands and wives. And it actually gives husbands an incredible command. It says, husbands, you are called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. For him, it was to physical death. Maybe it never comes to that for you. But how much are you willing to give up for love? 
Maybe in this season, it's giving up a hobby and it's giving up. Like, what are you willing to give up for love? What are you willing to give up for your wife? That's what you're called and commanded to do. Wives, this picture of Christ in the church, this idea of the church submitting itself to Christ. We say as wives, okay, then what am I supposed to do? Then I submit myself. I lay aside my desires and my wants and I say, hey, we're in this together. We're in pursuit of the same thing, this eternal lens of a relationship with God in our home of telling the greatest love story ever told, Christ and his church, his bride. I'll be that bride. Let's do this together. And I recognize some of you, you're sitting in the room today. Here's the other aside I was referencing. And you go, I don't have that in my relationship. What I'm describing today works and is intended for husbands and wives, parents and children. But perhaps today you find yourself in a dating relationship and you go, I just don't feel that same level of commitment. You won't. You say, well, we're trying to figure this thing out. And so we just decided we're going to live together to see if it's going to work. And I don't feel that same level of commitment. You won't. You say, well, I mean, it's. We're just kind of bringing all of our stuff together and all of our, you know, things together. We're just going to kind of merge them together, but it's, you know, it's, we don't believe in the official stuff. And so it's just, we're going to kind of put it, but we don't feel that same, you won't. Marriage is forever. Dating doesn't have to be. Co-parenting doesn't have to be. Living together doesn't have to be. You come to that place where you recognize that marriage is harder than dating. Because what you're saying to them is, I'm making a covenant commitment to you that I'm willing to give up everything for you, even if you don't reciprocate it back to me. I'm not talking about staying in an abusive relationship. I'm not saying, I'm talking about being unwise. I'm saying you use the wisdom of godly counsel around you, but you commit yourself to say, I'm in this for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer in sickness and in health until death parts us. That's what I'm committing to. You're my child. You're my mom. You're my dad. We're in this. We're blood. We're, this is us. We're in it. We fight. We argue. We have disagreements. But we're here. Together. Committed. Covenant. Relationship. I'm going to give maximum effort even if you don't give it back. Even if you don't give it back. I'll sacrifice. I'll give up whatever is necessary for love. You say, okay, so help me practically. Let me give you three thoughts today, really quickly. Three practical things that I think will help every family in the room. Here's the first. Love them the way that they feel loved. Your spouse, your kids, your parents, whatever. Love them the way that they feel loved, not the way you feel loved. One of the things that we have on the website that I talked about earlier, the Family Challenge website, it's a button right at the top of cantonchurch.com. You click on Family Challenge. One of the things on there is a link to the Love Languages quiz. It's a free quiz. It won't cost you anything. You click on it. Some of you have taken it before. I encourage you, take it again. Some of you have guessed what yours is. Take the quiz, okay? And then once you've taken the quiz, articulate that to your family members. I don't have time to go into all of it, but it's like quality, uh, words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service and gifts. You got all these things. Like this is the way I feel loved. 
tell them that. Because it could be that because they don't know, they're trying to read your mind and they can't read your mind. They don't know. And so once you say, hey, here's the way that I feel loved. If you hear somebody in your family say that, listen to them. Because it could be that you're spending hundreds and hundreds or thousands or thousands of dollars to give them stuff, stuff, stuff. And they just want to hear you say, I'm thankful for you. I appreciate what you do. That's all they need. That's free. They don't, they don't, they don't care if you load the dishwasher a thousand times. They just want every now and then for you to push everything else off the calendar and say, hey, tonight, let's go to dinner. Let's just spend some time together. Love them the way they feel loved. Here's the second thing. Be who you want them to be. Now, I recognize this could be manipulated, so let's attack it in its purest form. You're not playing passive-aggressive. You're not pretending to be something so that they do something you want them to do. You're modeling for them what it is that you crave in this relationship and what you believe it is that would provide health in this relationship. And so if you believe that one of the missing ingredients is forgiveness, you're going to model that by forgiving quickly. If you believe that one of the missing ingredients is words of affirmation, you're not going to always attack them with complaint and critique. You're going to find ways to affirm them. Model for them what it is that you believe is lacking and how you want to model for them how you receive love and what's missing in this relationship, what's missing in our home. Be who you want them to be. And then the third thing is this. Stop trying to win. Stop keeping score. Stop trying to win. Stop putting in effort, keeping score and keeping records about who's better and who does more. Just make up your mind today. I'm not trying to win the arguments. I'm not trying to get out of responsibility. I will gladly lose. I will gladly serve. In the words of Jesus, I will give up my life if that means you get to have one. I'm done keeping score. So here's the question. Am I trying to win or am I trying to love? When you think about the word love, you come to probably the most famous passage of scripture related to love. It's read at weddings and vow renewals and it's on t-shirts and coffee mugs and all kinds of things. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. When I read that, I recognize I got a lot of work to do still. Sometimes I'm irritable. Sometimes I'm a little bit proud. Sometimes I keep records of wrongs. And yet I keep looking at my wife and saying, I love you, and looking at my kids and saying, I love you, but I don't know how well I'm living this out yet. Dave Ramsey, who's the finance guy, has told us for years that hope is not a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. We can't just hope for a better marriage. We can't just hope for a better relationship with our kids. We can't just hope for a more godly home. That's not a strategy. We have to do something about it. We have to have intentional effort in our marriage and with our kids and in our home. 
And so here's the, here's the good news today. If you're aiming at something and you feel like it's the wrong target, today's the day that you can switch targets. And you can go, you know what, I'm, I'm aiming at the wrong stuff. I got to quit worrying about that and focus on this. This matters most. Maybe you say, you know what, I've got the right target. I'm just missing the mark. I'm, I'm, I'm not shooting it as well as I want to shoot. I'm not, I'm not hitting the target that I'm aimed after. Today's the day. You get a new chance. It's a fresh day, fresh start. The Lord wants to help you. Apologize, repent wherever you've gotten it wrong to God and to your family and in relationship. And let's give it a fresh start. Let's do it better tomorrow than we did it today. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Moment of just reflection. If you would say today, Jeremy, for me, I know that what I absolutely need to do today is ask God to forgive my sins and to be my Lord. To be the Lord and the Savior of my life. To be the foundation of my life and who I am. I need to center my entire life around who he is and who he's calling me to be. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And even beyond that, I need him to lead and direct my life every single day. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? I want to pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So many hands. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I want to quit keeping score. I want to quit keeping records of wrongs. I want to lay aside selfish ambition. I don't want to win at the expense of my family members. I want to love well. I want to serve well. I want to give maximum effort, even if they don't reciprocate it, because I want to live the way that Jesus lived for me. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. God, we love you today. We thank you for who you are, for all that you've done across all of our services all day long. I pray now for those who have lifted their hands to acknowledge their need for you as Lord and Savior of their life. God, do what I cannot do. Forgive sins and change the eternity of their lives. We thank you, God, for what you're doing. God, I pray now for every person that lifted their hand to say that they want to give maximum effort. They want you, God, to help them not to keep record of wrongs and not to keep score, to lay aside selfish ambition and just to serve well and love well. God, would you help us to do that today, to live out this definition of love more fully in our homes. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.